Are you at peace with dying? That's the subject we're going to explore today on A Place of Peace. Hello everyone, Peggy Stanton here, your host on A Place of Peace. If God told you this morning that you are going to die tonight and you could not tell anyone that secret, how would you spend your last day on earth? That is the provocative question Dr. Ray Garendi poses in his new book, Jesus, the Master Psychologist. Well, you all know Dr. Ray. I mean, he's got a daily radio show. He has a weekly television show all on EWTN. He writes about a book a month. He and He's in a race with Teresa Tamio. Uh, he's a very much sought-after speaker, and uh, but you didn't know. He's a great singer and an organ player, and that is how he worked his way through college. But what we're going to find out right now is whether he knows how to pray publicly. I was in the evangelical world for eight years, Peggy. We had to do that. We didn't even say at all any Catholic prayers. Those were verboten. We could say the Our Father, but we didn't call it the Our Father. We called it the Lord's Prayer. We even had our own label for it. (laughs) But the interesting thing, Peggy, before I go into the prayer, is that one of the complaints about Catholics in the evangelical world is that they said wrote prayers. And they didn't pray with the heart. And so we, as good evangelicals, would say our prayers with the heart. However... Over a period of time, those prayers all started to sound the same. <laughs> Dear Lord, we just ask you for traveling mercies. We're just so glad that you are here with us. We're just, just was the big word. Yeah, yeah, just right. was the big word. And yeah. traveling mercies. And we just ask your spirit to come upon us. And after a while, I kept thinking, there's a lot of the same phrases in this spontaneous <laughs> prayer here. And I'm not as good as all the people who came before me who decided some beautiful poetic prayers. But... I will spontaneously for you, Peggy. Yes, okay. You ready for this, Lord? (laughs) (laughs) Dear Lord, would you help me and Peggy, please, Mm -hmm. to say good things, to help folks, so that they can come away with something that helps them be closer to you. I just heard recently Father Ricardo's beautiful prayer. That's going to become, I think, part of my repetitive prayer. He says, Lord, I can't. You can, please do. Oh, yeah, that I is, that. that's great. I it says it all, it doesn't it? It does. <laughs> so thanks, Lord. Amen. Yeah, I like that prayer. I, yeah. I, li- I like head. I just heard it. Yeah. I just heard it last night. It's a headline. I like headlines. Do you I, like you headlines? I like sound by prayers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like Mother Angelica says, Lord have mercy. I, I like that one. That's a good one. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Well, I like the one the Lord came up with. That he wants at the bottom of his painting, of the painting of divine mercy. Jesus, I trust in you. That says everything that God wants to hear. Just because it's a soundbite, Peggy, doesn't mean it's not meaningful. All right. Just uh, before we get into this, it just occurred to me. The word trust. Give us all that that implies when you say to somebody, I trust in you. I believe you're going to do what you said. I believe you will Watch over me, stand beside me, take care of me, whatever you want to define it as. But I believe that. The same as I believe that if I'm picking up this mouse and I'm going to drop it. Now, I believe that mouse is going to hit that table if I let it go. In the past, it always has. 
I can't prove that it will this time. Mm -hmm. I just believe that it will because in the past it always has. Mm -hmm. So when I say I trust in Jesus, well, if in the past he always has, then I can't prove that I'm going to get exactly what I trust, but I trust that I will. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you can see why that is exactly what God wants to hear from us because it also implies, at least to me, that I love this person because I put all of my belief and trust in him. I don't think I would do that if I didn't love that person. Yeah, the problem though, Peg, is that if I say I trust in the Lord, I got to watch that I don't say I trust that he's going to do what I want him to do. Yeah, exactly. I have to trust that whatever happens he's a lot smarter than I am, and he's going to make better out of it than I would. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of crap that happens to you, and you think to yourself, well, wait, wait, what are you doing here, Jesus? I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm keeping up my end of the bargain. What are you doing? Yeah, exactly. You know, but he says, Ray, just settle down. You don't know what I know. When you say that, I trust in you that you're implicitly saying... I'll accept suffering. Ooh. If you send me... That's I don't the, like that. Yeah, no, I know. Have you ever seen the, no, the Surrender Novena? It seems to me that has just burst upon the scene where you, you turn everything over. You say, I surrender myself totally to you, Jesus. Take care of everything. And this is a prayer that our Lord gave to a French priest who's now on his way to sainthood. And the first time I saw it, Ray, I thought, you know... <laughs> Whoa. See, I don't, I, know if I, 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 I don't know if I want to ask for this. Yeah, right. But what? <laughs> don't send me. I, Lord, I'll do what you want. Just don't send me to Africa as a missionary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have a few things on my agenda, Lord, that I'd like to suggest. But once you say it, it's amazing. Once you do that, it, it, it gives you an enormous amount of peace, you know, because you, you are saying, okay, I'll take it all because I know you'll turn it into a good thing. Yeah, but... You know as well as I do in our weakness, we got to keep up that thought if and when it happens. It's real easy to say, you know, I I think uh, you know whatever whatever ugly happens here, I, Lord, I trust the Lord. He's gonna he's gonna bail me out. Yeah, but 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 when it happens, will I still be able to do that? And I sure hope so. Yeah, right, exactly. All right, so let's go back to what I opened with the question. Now, this is actually, folks, this is the final chapter in Doctor Ray's book. And I'm not asking it just to prove to you that I read all the way down. You read the Cliff Notes, Peggy. Come on. Um, But I think it raises a lot of fascinating ideas to talk about. And remember the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? Stephen Covey. Yeah. Do you know he endorsed one of my books? Did he really? Yeah. Yeah. Way back, I wrote a book called Back to the Family. Covey was on the cover. Wow. Wow. I love that book. Anyway, uh, the habit number two is begin with the end in mind. So that really is, you know, and you said, well, let's say, okay, so God tells Dr. Ray this morning, you're going to die tonight. I hope not in the middle of your speech. But <laughs> think they'll still pay me? <laughs> well, it would be quite mm-hmm. sensational, actually. Uh, certainly make the news. And that you are going to, as you put it in the book, you're going to pass away in your sleep during the night. What's more, you're not supposed to tell anyone. And then you ask, what would your day look like? No doubt, I love this line, you first decide to stay awake through the night. 
not to be caught unaware. Beyond that, you write, what would you do? Who would receive your time and how much? Who would hear of your love, your gratitude, your appreciation? What would you say that you should have said? Now, this is really important. What would you say that you should have said but didn't? And to whom? And then, this is a toughie. I mean, you'd need a year, not a day. (laughs) What regrettable words or actions would you seek to undo? Who would get the very best of you? So I'm asking you, what would Dr. Ray do? I think I would do everything in my power to let people know that I love them, the people that I love. I would hope that I don't have a whole lot to apologize for. I would hope I don't have to go around and go, you know, I've been holding this one for two years. I better get it off my chest here. I would hope. And I think, if I recall correctly, one of the points I wanted to make was, if you would do that when you only have one day left, why are you not doing it now? You're just assuming that, in fact, you've got all the time you need. Yeah, yeah. And that perplexes me, Peggy. Mm -hmm. I've talked to older people, people in their late 80s, Mm -hmm. 90s, and they spent a lot of their life just ignoring God. Mm -hmm. He's there, but he's not a real good part. Mm -hmm. I'm not into that so much. And I'm wondering, okay, when you were 23 and it looked like you were infinite, I suppose you could ignore him. Mm -hmm. Don't you hear the waterfall? (laughs) Uh, it's getting louder, isn't it? <laughs> and yet, why? What is it yeah. that they don't think about this? Yeah. I'm stunned. I'm perplexed as a psychologist. Part of the answer, my mother, we were at a funeral once, and it was an elderly person who died. And I, I raised this question with my mm-hmm. mom. And my mom said something. I don't think she meant to be this profound, but she mm-hmm. was. She said, I guess if you're still breathing, mm-hmm. you think you're going to live forever. Now, that's probably true unless you have a terminal illness, but for the most part, they did a survey, Peggy. I saw this in First Things. They asked very elderly people, how much longer do you think you have to live? Every single one of them said, at least another year. Hmm. You're 91 years old, and you're going, oh, I think i got another year. I know of someone who's going to celebrate his 97th birthday today, and, I mean, he probably could be in his 60s, so he probably thinks he's going to go... Well past a hundred, and it. Why do you think that is? Are we just afraid to face the idea of death, or what about people who religion has been a part of their lives? They're not really living it all that well. Those people really puzzles me when they get close to the goal line that they don't want to improve. It's good enough religion, Peggy. I define God as thinking like me, which says I'm a pretty good person. Okay, I mean, what have I done to anybody? Mm-hmm. Hurt anybody? You look at my ledger sheet there, it's got more positives than negatives on it, so I feel pretty confident. So basically, I make my own rules. I decided. And I always say this as a shrink to people. I say, well, if you are the one who measures your goodness, mm-hmm. then you are 100% good. <laughs> because you're the stick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't say I'm sort of good. Well, no, you're totally good because you decide what good is. Yeah. <laughs> I think that factor is at play, which mm-hmm. is, I've been good enough. Mm-hmm. I've had $3 worth of God. Yeah. That should get me into heaven. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And God is so merciful. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's he, not going to do that to me. Yeah. I mean, there's some really bad people out there, but not me. Yeah. That's one. I think I saw a study once, these couple of neurologist guys that said this, and they talked about 
that there seems to be something wired into us that we don't ponder our own mortality because it's too threatening. That it's like a protective neurological evolution. Mm, Denial. Yeah, if you thought about it, if you Mm -hmm. said, I'm going to die, I'm going to leave all this, Mm. and I don't know when it's going to be, but I keep thinking it's not going to be now, although I can intellectually say I could go to the doctors tomorrow and get a diagnosis. Right. Well, that's really, I don't even think about that because it's not going to happen now. So if you did dwell on that, Mm -hmm. you would go into despair. I think you would. Hmm. All right, that I'm going to leave my wife, or I'm going to leave the children I love the most, and there's nothing I can do about it. So there's something in us that doesn't want to think about that. And hmm. if you don't think about it, then you don't think about God, because he's what's after that. Hmm. Let me read you this one. This is a quote that I came across. It's a fascinating quote. Life is hard, then you die. Then it gets harder, <laughs> unless you died before you died. Mm, died to self. I really like that That's quote. Good. That is really good. Who said that? Well, it was from a friend, from an editor of the New Oxford Review. He said, I think about my friend Michael Lucioni's warning. It's true. That I mean, is really good. What is what is facing us if we don't die to self, if we don't recognize there's a God, if we don't recognize that Jesus was God and that he's speaking to us yeah. through his church, if we say no to any one of those questions, well, okay, now what? Yeah. But now St. Paul, that was interesting. He remember he talked about he said to die is to gain, but then he also felt there was in a sense, I can't quote the words he used, but he had work to do here and he wanted to do that work. So he was torn whether he wanted to go. Yeah. He wanted to go and see the Lord. It's better to be there, but Yeah. Yeah. It's like the old joke. It's like the old joke the priest comes into the bar and he says, uh, who wants to go to heaven? And everybody raises their hand. He goes, okay, line up. <laughs> and one guy one guy won't go. He just sits there. Mm-hmm. He says, don't you want to go to heaven? guy goes, yeah. Oh, I thought you meant now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll go to heaven, not now. Yeah, now. <laughs> <laughs> does death frighten you? Yes. Does it? It does. Because on one hand, this is all I know. And I can say to myself, I can't even fathom what mm. it could be like. It's a completely different sense of type of existence. I know that intellectually. Okay? Mm-hmm. But I can't wrap my head around it. You know, St. Mm-hmm. Paul talks about eye has not seen, ear right. has not heard, mind cannot conceive. Okay, so it must be a very, very different sort of existence. Mm-hmm. We extrapolate streets of gold, beautiful mountains. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all we know. Mm-hmm. So we just think mm-hmm. it's more of this, only better. Yeah, right. And I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And I had a friend of my cousin died a couple years back. I went to visit him in hospice. And he looked at me and he said, I never thought it would be this hard. I knew what he meant. Mm-hmm. I'm leaving my wife. I'm leaving my kids. And even though we can say, I sure hope someday, mm-hmm. sometime they'll mm-hmm. be with me. Mm-hmm. For that moment, they're not. They're not. I, mm-hmm. I don't know what lies on the other side. To the degree that I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Mm-hmm. And I am. I got a great life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like this is pretty cool. Okay, let's just let's just keep this up for a while. I got yeah. I got too many complaints about this one. Yeah. So yeah, in a way, I think that that's the human condition. That even though 
we recognize that we hope. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. When I was in the evangelical world, we knew. You you better know because you're not a Christian if you don't know if you're going to die and you're going to heaven. You know you're going to heaven. I remember thinking, yeah, I don't know if I want to make that call for God. But Yeah, and in the evangelical world, it, it always comes across to me that it doesn't even matter what you do as long as you have accepted Jesus that you're saved. I saw that as a fatal flaw where yeah. I was. Yeah. And I started to struggle more with the evangelical thinking. I remember in Bible studies, that came up a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And we had a debate once. Was Mother Teresa a Christian? And the consensus was no. I know, you're shocked. I was shocked. Yeah, yeah. The reasoning was, she apparently thought that she had to be holy to get to heaven. She apparently thought she had to do good works to get to heaven. So therefore, good works won't get you to heaven. And she must have thought good works did, so she missed the whole gospel message. That was the consensus. And I remember thinking the fatal flaw here is that, you're right, if I divorce my wife and leave my three children, and I marry my secretary, and I still proclaim Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior... I'm still in. I shouldn't have done that. That was not good. And it hurts my walk with God. And he doesn't approve of that. But it really doesn't ultimately affect my final destination. And I remember thinking, with thinking like that, how can you not start to look like the culture? Mm, absolutely. Yeah. It never actually, if, if they confront the idea head on, it doesn't really make sense. Right? First of all, if you go straight to Scripture, there are just dozens and dozens of Scripture verses that you have to do backflips to misinterpret so that you can still say works don't matter. Yeah. Now, they're not going to get you to heaven, but they are part and parcel of you being a disciple. Yeah. Can you cite one? One of my most unsettling ones was in second letter of Peter. Now, I belong to a evangelical world mm-hmm. once saved always saved yeah Jesus Christ right, Lord and right, Savior right. once saved always saved we had great sound bites too we did we <laughs> yeah, did yeah. we had good marketing sound bites yeah. the main things are the plain things and the plain things are the main things let scripture <laughs> interpret scripture we have to agree to disagree yeah. major on the major and minor on the minors I think <laughs> Catholics need sound bites you know why, yeah. why was Peter the first pope Pete's got the seat you know <laughs> Eucharist host with the most you know, we need sound bites <laughs> So I remember this St. Peter verse. He said, it would be better if you didn't come to a saving knowledge and leave. It would be better that you didn't know at all because you are returning like a dog to your vomit if you once having known the faith mm-hmm. turn from it. I remember another verse mm-hmm. when they were replacing Judas. Mm-hmm. They said, it is good for us to replace Judas who from this apostleship fell. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. The dude was an apostle and he fell? Now, the interpretation in my evangelical world was, well, he wasn't really an apostle. He wasn't. He was a fake apostle. Okay. But when Jesus sent him out two by two, he was one of them. You know, so there were just so many verses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jesus was asked, what do I do to attain salvation? Keep the commandments. Well, that's works, Jesus. He didn't say believe in me. He said keep the commandments. So many verses. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. all through Scripture. And I remember thinking, you've got to just ignore those verses or you got to you got to reinterpret them. Did you ever bring them up with your... Oh, yeah, that was heresy. The, oh, and, they, and they, what would the response be? I got kicked out of the church. Really? Yeah. What was happening was I was coming back to the Catholic Church. 
And I was doing both. I was going to the evangelical Bible study and their service, and I was going to Mass before. I told the pastor, I said, I'm going back to the Catholic Church. He said, that's okay, no problem. Because he figured, you'll find out how wrong the Catholic Church is, and you'll be back. So I started raising some of these questions. Ooh, they came and kicked me out of the church. And I said, I, well, I told you, I'm not trying to convert people, but I told you I am going back to the Catholic Church. And both those pastors are gone now, by the way. <laughs> Fascinating, you know, it is because there are no answers to some of those questions. Uh, and I suppose, Ray, they don't answer them or confront them is because they're, it's much more comfortable to believe the way they do. You know, if I'm saved, as long all I have to do is declare my belief in Jesus, I can do anything I want. Well, wouldn't we all like to? One of the pieces of illogic that shook me up, Peggy, was, okay, once saved, always saved. What happens if a person who is once saved, always saved, and he's committed to Jesus Christ multiple times as he's growing up, mm-hmm. but by age 32, he leaves the church, he doesn't really live in any way, shape, or form mm-hmm. as a Christian, he's left his wife and three kids... Mm-hmm. For whatever the reason. Mm -hmm. The answer that I got to that made no sense. And the answer was this. He wasn't saved to begin with. Now, see, that's illogical because, wait a minute, he thought he was saved. He thought he had the assurance of salvation. You told him he had the assurance of salvation. And now you're saying, 26 years later, he finds out he was wrong. Well, then you can't have the assurance of salvation if at any moment you can be wrong. So the, the the whole idea makes no sense. Yeah. And that was just one of the things that shook me up when I was in the evangelical yeah. world. And I started looking back at the Catholic Church and say, what do you have to say about this? Why did you leave the church? Indifference. God's God. Jesus is Jesus. I'll go somewhere where there's a more vibrant community as I saw it. More young people. Better preaching as I saw it. Yeah. And all of that. You just kind of thought the church was, was kind of boring? Yeah, it wasn't hostile to her. Yeah. It was more of a, well, my wife's kind of over there. She's she's getting into her faith as an evangelical, and I'll go with her. And gee, I like the pastor. He's a pretty good guy. And yeah, those are some nice sermons. And the people there are really, really cool. And we go to Bible study, and boy, they got 27 different activities. Very good at presenting <laughs> yeah. community-type right. atmosphere. And I can have a, a latte if well, I listen. heck yeah. <laughs> and I'm much more comfortable seats. Come on. <laughs> and every once in a while, they let me sing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet they loved having But you bring up another problem that we've touched on briefly, but this instant canonization. I mean... As you say, at funerals and so, I mean, everybody. They're all saints, man, everybody. Yeah, I mean, yeah, doesn't some of these celebrities, you know, who led a really wild life, and you hear on television, you'll hear, oh, well, now he's looking down on us and blah, blah, blah. What is it in people's minds? Again, I guess it's just they're believing what they want to believe rather than what is true. Psychologists talk a lot about denial. Mm. And it's the most primitive of defense mechanisms. Mm -hmm. So what would be the most far-reaching denial? Well, the denial that that when I die, I'm going to not have to face anything that would be unpleasant. Mm -hmm. Of course. I mean, they all go to heaven. Everybody goes to heaven. Mm. It never, this didn't used to be the mindset. I remember growing up Mm. and at funerals, they weren't macabre, but... There was a recognition that we need to pray for this person for the mercy of God. It wasn't everybody who dies is automatically wonderful human being. And I have to tell you, at my mom's funeral, 
I got to speak at the end. Mm-hmm. And you know, Peggy, as well as I do, that if I see more than four people there, I have to have the microphone. <laughs> so... Unless I grab it. From there you, you go. You and I have had some fights over that. And you, you, I pushed you down, but you just didn't go down. So my sister got up and said nine things about my mom. I got up and I said, uh, a lot of families break up after the death of a parent. They do. They fight over the inheritance. I said, that's not going to happen in our family. I said, I want my sister to have the car. I want my brother to have his share of the 401k. All I want is my mother's. Italian coupon book valued at $1.65 million. (laughs) Mom grew up in the Depression and she had coupons for everything. I said, we've uh, paid for this funeral with a coupon, 12 bucks. (laughs) Well, what I worry about is that we are praying for people, you know, we're salving our own emotions by saying he's up there or she's up there and that makes me feel good. doesn't do anything for the person who died who may be in purgatory exactly. waiting for the prayers. And I, I always say to people, you know, I don't want to get on the other side. And everybody and, think you're wonderful and I'll pray for you. Uh, I'll, hey, I'll, if it's any consolation, Peggy, I'll pray for your wretched soul. <laughs> Please do. Will you? But also, I don't want to get over there and hear my husband say to me, you know, I could have gotten out of purgatory. here, you know. I, I could have gotten out of here years earlier if you'd prayed, but you just assumed I was in heaven. My so, mother used to say that. She said, when I die, please, please, please don't neglect having masses prayed for me. She said all the time. So I feel guilty because I don't do that very often. <laughs> I have one friend. He, he didn't trust us to pray for him. So he he paid for left money to buy 500 masses for us. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You got a coupon. You got yeah. a coupon here for uh, 500 masses. Oh, we're, we're almost out. This has been such fun. But all people say, well, something's wrong with you. You're talking about death and you think it's fun. Death and hell and judgment. <laughs> Boy, isn't that a good time? <laughs> <laughs> but please tell everybody how they can get your book, Jesus, the Master Psychologist. Listen to him. Go to my website. It's probably the easiest. You get a signed copy. at uh, The website's drray.com. Uh, it comes on the heels of another book called Thinking Like Jesus. So mm. those two are both of the same ilk. The tenor is, if Jesus is God, then he knows the best way to live, whether I agree with him or whether I don't. Mm-hmm. That's the hard part when I don't agree with. I do. Yes, I'm like Lord, a teenager. I do. Yeah. I agree with you, sort of. But when I don't agree with you, I'm going to do what I want. I'm a teenager. I'm a Catholic teenager. Dr. Ray, will you come back? We'll get into other questions in the book if you come back and be on the show again. Be glad to, Peggy. Okay. I'm Peggy Stanton. Join us next week on A Place of Peace.